Radio uh, with Scott and I'm John and uh, today we're going to talk about a couple things including what the Tom Brady contract frees up for the New England Patriots and um, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Ruby De La Rosa the pitching prospect for the Boston Red Sox and if we get time we're going to talk about Tim Thomas and what he's been up to on Facebook lately so uh, let's let's start up with um, Brady's contract uh the three-year extension of $27 million frees up $15 million in cap, um, total $23 million in cap space. Uh, what's the number one priority for the uh, Patriots, you think? Well, first off, the Patriots definitely need to get some sort of defense players. I know that uh, Ed Reed is, is, uh, expressed his, you know, his like to uh, play for Bill, excuse me, Bill Belichick. So that could be a good... Um, landing spot for us with him and you know obviously if they can if they can re-sign a key that'd be a good good source but i don't know with uh with the money being freed up they might they might re-sign Wilker and they might not i don't know what do you think about that yeah i mean i agree with you i think the the patriots the number one priority right now is just secondary if you look at last season they had 74 pass plays for 20 or more yards and that's just way more than, you know, any other team had last year. And, um, yeah, I was I was curious to see whether or not the the Pats would uh, franchise Aqib Tlaib. And uh, so far, they haven't. And you have to remember that he was what we got for a fourth-round draft pick. So he's been – the talent is there. And, um, you know, maybe with Alonzo Denard facing six years in prison for assaulting a police officer a couple weeks ago, I think that definitely uh, Ed Reed is definitely the Patriots' most – uh, viable kind of option to go to. Um, you know, he's proven that he's got the talent. He has the active, he's the active career leader in set receptions right now, 61, I think, over his career. And, you know, he's relatively cheap considering the fact that we have 15 million or 23 million in cap space. He's only about maybe five, six million a year. So, yeah, I mean, there are some other players, though. I mean, you got, you got Darrell Revis, who's, you know, everyone's obsessing about right now, which is a stretch. And then you have, you know, Dunta Robinson and John Abraham. So, you know. Yeah, another uh, another big name coming across today that I read is that uh, Nande Asamoa might be getting cut from the Eagles. So he might be a uh, a good target for them to go after. I mean, he's going to demand a lot of money, but, I mean, yeah. I mean, if they, the thing is, if they could, if they could land him, he he would definitely shore up the secondary. Yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Joe Flacco contract, they're gonna have to let Ed Reed walk. I think that Ed Reed is definitely the the uh, big guy that we're looking at with the Patriots. I mean, that 120.6 mil deal. That's just the highest, you know, which is a, a whole other discussion in, in and of itself. But it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I'm feeling some chicken McNuggets. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's got more money guaranteed his first year than Tom Brady's entire contract worth. So uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty nuts in my opinion. Um, but I mean, they're gonna have to, you know, if they're gonna sign a super deal like that, they're gonna have to let Ed Reed go. And uh, 
you know, he's he's always spoke highly of Belichick, and I think that he'd fit in with the system. And right now, we clearly need a safety. We clearly need someone in the secondary. So, um, I think he's definitely right now the best option. You know, he's he's got everything that we need. Uh, you know, he he's been quoted as saying, "Man, I have so much respect for Coach Belichick and what he's about, his discipline and his structure and of what he has and how just how he became a coach, military background and everything." I read his book, and he just clearly respects the fact that the guy can win championships. You know, Ed Reed, although he's 34, he's got some years left and he wants to win another championship. So, Yeah, the thing is, he brings a lot of the uh, the aspect that Rodney Harrison brought to the Patriots when he came in in 2003. He, he just, he's got that leadership, he's got that attitude, that, you know, what they like to call the swag. So, you know, if he can bring that to the team, it, it's a much-needed much-needed boost. They just, they haven't, and besides Brandon Spikes, Brandon Spikes has a, uh, got a big attitude, and, uh, you know, yeah. you can go ahead and just, uh, you know, you can bring that to them. You know, Patriots defense would be uh force to be reckoned with, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's no question our offense is sound, and whether or not we sign Wes Welker, you know, I think that, you know, if you look at it, Wes Welker, he fits best with the uh, the Patriots, the two tight end slot receiver kind of format. And, you know, he's going to try out free agency. And, I, you know, he might get – I don't know, he might get an offer, but I think he's kind of – maybe not bluffing, but I think that he's trying to show that he's not really afraid to, like, you know, kind of assert his will at this point. Um, and, you know, I think that he's going to ultimately end up with the Patriots um, – I think that we're going to have enough cap space to sign him. And, again, Ed Reed is relatively inexpensive considering the fact that we have so much cap space now. And, um, you know, it's just another thing to consider in this whole whole mess that Wes Walker is still trying out free agency. And, um, you know, there have been talks about cutting Brandon Lloyd and pursuing Mike Wallace. And, um, you know, I, I think at this point the two big things that we really need to go after is uh, re-signing Tom Brady's number one receiver because – the chemistry is there. The relationship is there. They're very good friends outside the game. They're, they're you know, very, very in tune inside the game as teammates. Um, and then we need something for the secondary because, you know, last year we would have, you know, we, we could have maybe done a little bit better had we not conceded so many, you know, power power move kind of passing plays, you know. Right. So. Um, another thing I read today is, you know, after Welker pretty much announced that he was going to go ahead and try to test free agency, apparently there's a lot of teams that are interested. St. Louis, Tennessee, Denver. I mean, the list is the list is pretty big for him. So it's some if he doesn't sign with the Patriots, some teams are going to offer him a lot of money. Yeah, but I think that ultimately, I mean, I think that he's going to have to weigh, you know, those teams that you just listed, like the, the probably they're going to win a championship next year or like the year after that or the year after that. I think he's going to have to out I think he's going to have to I mean he's worth a lot and he knows it and we know it. Um I think he's really going to have to weigh how much he wants a championship compared to how much he wants to make a deal. And yeah. And I think that that you know he's either going to have a great experience in the NFL and he'd be remembered as one of the greatest Patriots receivers of all time and stay with Tom Brady and um perhaps win another championship or he's going to end up in, you know, Tennessee, St. Louis, whatever, you know, being Sam Bradford's number one is not exactly what I want to be in the NFL right now because the, you know, the Rams, you know, they're not really that I see. I mean, great organization, but they're not really going anywhere right now. Um, so, 
you know, I, I ultimately think that he will end up back with the Patriots, and I, I really hope he does because you know he's our he's our boy, and he's been carrying us through so much, and he works through every injury, injury, and he's a workhorse. But um, I think this is just kind of a power move, just to show Belichick that he's you know he's willing to kind of go out there. But I think he's gonna end up ultimately with back with the Patriots. I think they're gonna gonna sign him eventually. You know. Yeah, that's. Uh... If there's one thing you don't do, you don't test Bill Belichick. I mean, yeah. Brady Ross tried to do it in uh, in 2009. He got he got his butt shipped to uh, Minnesota pretty quick. So he's not having any of that. He has no problem letting anybody go. Yeah, we'll see. But um, you know, it's West Walk we're talking about, so it's tough. We'll see where it ends up. But I think that ultimately, right now, Patriots need to pursue. You know, West Walker and get a contract, pay him, do whatever they got to do, and then. Some, you know, whether it be Ed Reed or um, John Abraham or Dunder Robinson or even, I mean, Darrell Reeves is kind of a stretch. I don't think it's going to happen. But, um, you know, they they got to kind of get some offensive marquee player to, uh, you know, lead that offense who's kind of they, – they they had an identity last year, but it was a little bit lacking, I, I think. I'm, I'm not trying to question their character, but – they just they seemed a lot like disorganized and confused. Oftentimes, there's like these huge plays go every every game. There's at least a couple of big plays against them. And it was just sucked to watch because our offense was fantastic. But um, right, yeah. So you know that's that's another Revis. That's another interesting story. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's face it, the Jets are a train wreck. Yeah, it's just they are. They're just a train wreck. They they can't get out of their own their own way. You know what I mean? They're shopping probably their best player that they have on their team, and they're they're just gonna they're gonna trade him. They're just gonna get rid of him, and like that's just you know, why would you do that? He's basically the franchise right now. When the most memorable play of the of the season is a butt fumble, that <laughs> then you, then you know that <laughs> and you know that something is seriously wrong with your franchise. <laughs> yeah, I mean when you have a. Uh, when you have a press conference for a backup quarterback, who who basically is your your punt protector, then then yeah, you you definitely got some issues. Yeah. So um, you know, again, Revis had pushed for a pay raise going through his final year. It's already um, he has a four year, forty six million dollar contract. He'll receive six million guaranteed this year, but he's trying to uh, keep going with it. So um, yeah, that's uh. Some Patriots stuff. Um, Patriots are definitely Patriots definitely need some things. Yep. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, moving on. All right. So um, the other day, uh, we got a tweet from I Nurse Elisa about, and she asked, um, Pedro Martinez believes that Ruby De La Rosa could possibly be the next Clemens. Thoughts? So um, I'll be honest, I hadn't heard much about this dude uh, until she asked this question. Um, and if I butchered your Twitter Twitter handle, I'm sorry about that. Um, so Ruby De La Rosa is this 24-year-old kid who's coming back from Tommy John in 2011. And, uh, you know, when Pedro started working for the Red Sox organization, uh, he took a liking to him. And they found out that they were cousins, I guess. I don't know. They're somehow related and uh, in spring training. And uh, apparently Pedro was real impressed by his progress and claimed that he could be someone special like Clemens. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean... There's there's no one in, that could ever match Roger Clemens ever, you know whether he's juicing or not doesn't matter. Roger Clemens was a force, 
I mean, this kid is coming off Tommy John surgery. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's pretty much... Recent Tommy John. Yeah. Yeah, like it was last year, right? Uh, Two years ago, yeah. Two years ago. Yeah, so, I mean, it it takes a special player to come back and be as strong as a Roger Clemens would be. You know what I mean? If if he had gotten Tommy John surgery back, you know what I mean? Like, But the good thing is, he's young. He's young. He shows a lot of prospect, um, a lot of promise, and uh, so he'll be, he'll be, <laughs> he'll be hopefully potentially a starter someday. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think that right now for the Red Sox, I think that the question is not about whether or not we have a future Roger Clemens. It's about whether or not we can have a solid starting rotation because yeah, exactly. the last. Last year, you know, was I gave the season. I really gave it a shot. I, I still, I still gave the season a shot. You know, I, I, I still try to watch the Red Sox now, and it just like, oh, it pains me just to, to, to deal with this. You know, like we unloaded Adrian Gonzalez, we unloaded Josh Beck, we unloaded, you know, um, Carl Crawford. Uh, we've got Ruby from the trade or whatever. It's a new Red Sox organization with a new manager in John Farrell. And this is a young guy coming off a big surgery. And he's had limited play because of it in the past few years. And while the potential is there, I just think it's unrealistic to, like, assume that this guy is going to become an elite quarterback, elite pitcher just because of uh, what, uh, you know, Pedro Martinez says. Granted, Pedro is one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. But you can't just, you know, oh, okay, Pedro said he's going to be Roger Clemens. He's going to be Roger Clemens. Like, more realistic expectations. Like, let's make it to 500 this year. Let's let's play well. Let's like not you know. Let's see how John Farrell can impact the team in a beneficial way. Let's um, you know. Let's That's try. it. I mean, like, listen. I sit here. I sit here and I watch Nesson, and you know their their slogan of the their slogan of the season is the whole new ball game. I'm mean, enough. Enough with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just stop talking and just play some baseball. Mm-hmm. Like. It, okay, yeah, 2012 was a terrible year, bad manager, injuries, whatever excuse you could possibly pull out of the clouds, it's it's done, it's over with, just let it go, and, you know, for Red Sox, quote-unquote, nation, to expect the, you know, greatest season ever is it, just, it's unfathomable. Yeah, you know... We should have realist, yeah, exactly. It's, unfath- it's unfathomable. Good. That's, it should be, you know, a realistic expectation should be breaking 500. Maybe we'll see. I mean, we went out and got, you know, Victorino, and uh, we got Napoli, and those are some impact players. And you know, Big Poppy is recovering well. Um, but you know, right now, put less pressure on this young kid who's developing, and let him develop with Pedro and Farrell in their system. Um, exactly. It's gonna be. A, yeah, you know, it's going to be a huge road coming back from a major surgery. And while, you know, reports from spring training are encouraging, you gotta you got to think about the bigger picture. And I understand that you can get excited, you know, when we say, like, oh, Tyler Sagan's going to be the next um, Wayne Gre- Mike Madonna, Wayne Gretzky, or whatever. Like, But you got to have real expectations for these young kids who are developing still. So Exactly. I mean, and that's uh, – I mean – Growing up here in Boston, and I know you, Scott, you you know you grew up around here too. So all the fans of the Boston sports put so much pressure on their teams. Like you can't expect 
this kid to come in and try to fill Roger Clemens' shoes. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just it's just not going to happen. So that's why I get I get kind of irritated when I hear people, you know, put you know um, comparisons against you know old players, new players. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, like, com- no, comparisons are unfair, is, and that's the way he pitches. It's just let's let's you know keep it as it is. You know? Yeah, comparisons are unfair on on most fronts, I think. Um, but again, John Farrell, impressed by Ruby De La Rosa, um, said that his changeup, breaking ball. And speed have been consistently good so far this spring training. So, um, but again, the Red Sox they seriously need to uh, focus on, you know, just trying to bounce back and um, deliver a season that you know is not completely horrible <laughs> on all on all fronts. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Red Sox mo- uh, news, and we can talk about we have a lot of time left, so we can talk about uh, Bruins stuff like that. I want to start with uh, one of our favorite Bruins, our former Bruins, actually, um, Big Big Tim, Tim the Tank, who, if you guys haven't noticed or haven't been listening to the radio lately, or haven't been watching Ness enough, the guy's going off the deep end a little bit, I think. Um, he, yeah, I mean, let's face it, he, he pretty much lost that after the Stanley Cup run, um, you know, Politics and, and religion have just taken over this man's world, and I, I just—it's just—it's a little naughty, if you ask me. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, um, he's been posting uh, a lot of like uh, Jesus evangelical talks, and uh, I mean, which is—I mean, which is fine. You can say your opinion or whatever, but you know, I think that, and he's been posting, for example the Corinthian uh, sections from the Bible, like Corinthians 9-2-5. Um, but, you know, I just, after the way he left the NHL and under the circumstances with which he, uh, you know, his his period with the Bruins came to an end, I just think it's kind of funny and kind of inappropriate to be posting that stuff on all over the internet. That's just me though. You know, uh, I just, I, we get it, Tim. Like <laughs> we, we get it. We get the whole Chick-fil-A stance thing. We get the whole, uh, you know, what, what you're all about. We get your political, um, opinions. I just, you know, it growing up, well, seeing, the Bruins being a team that couldn't beat the like, – my brother and I, when we were kids, we went to a Minnesota Wild game, and we were – it must have been 2004, 2005, and they lost like 7 to nothing. And just like from seeing that, seeing Tim Thomas holding a Stanley Cup and a Conn Smythe and a Vesna, and then just like the epic downfall. He went to the most loved, to the most hated man in Boston – one of the most hated men in Boston in about a year and a half. Yeah, the the man was a god here. You know what I mean? He brought, you know, thirty nine years. He brought a Stanley Cup back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think that, I think that statistically, he had the second best playoff run as a goaltender that, like, other than Patrick Roy. So, you know, <laughs> the guy was the guy was stellar, and he was, you know, and now he's posting, you know, G E S U S, Jesus, Jesus, on his on his Facebook, and you know, he got traded to the Islanders. We all know that. Um, which is, I mean, at at this point, 
get rid of them, get rid of that cap space. It's just like literally dead space, dead money just sitting on our payroll. Um, but you know, it's, it's weird to see how it just came out of, out of nowhere. It just, I think everyone, everyone in Boston was kind of shocked by it. Um, you know, just, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, you know, Tuka's, Tuka's great. We love him, but like Timmy was something special and it just sucks that, you know, now instead of playing for the bees, he's posting this religious stuff on his Facebook and people are, you know, a little bit disgruntled, I think here in Boston, but, uh, right. Yeah. Um, not to go back to the Red Sox thing, but I actually do have a question here from uh, Jason Bluen. <clears throat> he actually asked, how many wins do you think the Sox starters will combine for? A lot of analysts, including our, our own, do not have much confidence in them. What do you What do you think about that? Uh, <clears throat> I think that we'll see in the first month of the of the season what direction we're going to go in. I think that I think that they said that Lester and Lackey were showing signs of improvement, right? Uh, yeah, from spring. they did say that. Uh, I mean, that's those, a, those are the two guys that need to be accountable anyways. Yeah, that's, that's a tough question. I mean, Buckholes too. I mean, barring injury, I say that our starters play well enough to be over 500 and play semi-consistently. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a little bit neutral, and that's kind of a cop-out answer, but... I think that our starter is going to play consistently enough and well enough with this new management and now that, you know, Boston as a whole is emphasizing pitching, pitching, pitching. I think that they're they're going to step up. And I think that Josh Beckett not being here is going to be a good thing for the clubhouse. I think that that's um, – but, you know, we'll see. Uh, I can't give you a number. I think that it depends on how the first month of our season goes and then we can make a uh, an accurate kind of – thing from there, but let's see how they come out of spring training. It's too early to make those kind of... i say they're going to play consistently enough to get us over 500. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I'll definitely agree with you on that. About, you know, they'll play consistently be about 500. thing is, is the first month of April, I mean, I think they probably have, you know, half the month they're not even home. So they're playing a lot of away games, which <clears throat> is actually going to be better for them. But yeah. they... They they have to they have to be accountable like I said, so they just they just need to do it you know they they need to they need to buckle down and you know you can't listen to Nesson analysts or any type of local analyst because of course they're going to sit there and say that you know oh these guys are going to be like twenty game winners you know like like I said before let's be realistic if you know let's put you know let's say the most fifteen. You know, and I'll I'll even I'll even give Lackey the benefit of the doubt and say he'll be a 12 game winner. That's you know, I'll, I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> we'll see, man. I don't know about that. Um, that that would be uh, interesting. Um, you know, but... he, he's got to have a he's got to have a good comeback year. I mean, he's been nothing but you know, excuse my language, crap since he's been here, but. You know, I'll give, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's, he's gunning it out, and he even recruited Mike Napoli for the Red Sox. So, you know, yeah, that's got to say something at least. Yeah, I think that uh, with with how inconsistent the pitching was last year, it is almost impossible to judge how the pitching will be next year. But we'll certainly see how John Farrell and Pedro Martinez uh, do with that. Um, in the last couple of minutes, we want to talk about uh, the Bruins a little bit and their recent. Uh, Kind of defensive struggle. 
Because it's been two back-to-back real emotional, real tough losses. And, Where do um, I begin? I mean, I mean, going back to the Montreal game. The Montreal, oh yeah. The Montreal game was a huge disappointment in my eyes. They they had them on the ropes. You know what I mean? They could have they could have put the game away if they had just stay out of the box. Yeah, stay out of the box. I mean, the thing is, is <clears throat> you, you you listen to Claude Julian talk about you know these guys embellishing it and diving it and stuff like that, and you know watching the game. Yeah, they were. They, I mean, Pekan Subban's diving class right there. That's what that's all about. But you know they just—I don't know—they—they're they, giving the games away. These past—I mean, yeah. Yesterday they had a three-goal lead, and they just—they just gave it away. Yeah, and I think that with going back to the Canadians game, I think that what really bothered me was not so much that the Canadians are diving because that's a—that's a constant in the NHL, and everyone knows it. You know, they—you know, hockey Canadian royalty. I think that the big problem for me was. The non-call on Alexi Emelin, I believe that's his name, Alexi Emelin, which led to the Chara retaliatory um, yes, the, uh, smackdown, the, to, to put it lightly. To Tyler Sagan, right? Yeah, right to his ribs. And that was right in front of a referee. And um, I think that, you know, and then you take Chara off the ice for 17, it was a game misconduct, plus five for five, plus two for instigating 17 minutes. Yeah, and he is our... Number one penalty killer. He's number one, number one player when he's good. Um, he always makes the right decisions, and I think that's what really, I mean, taking him off for almost an entire period, you know, and yeah. and you know that just that's that that's been kind of the the theme for the Bruins lately. Just either really bad non calls or you know, just drawing stupid penalties. And um, you look at the cap. I mean, you look at the Capitals game and. The refereeing again was just wildly inconsistent on both, you know, both sides, but more so the Bruins. And you know, there was a dumb penalty that that led to a power play goal for the the Bruins. But there were a lot of dumb calls both ways. And you know, Tuca got run over like three times. Yeah. And you know, it's uh, I think that. I don't know what's what's going on. The Bruins are in a little funk right now. They're straying away from their kind of defensive formula. They're playing a lot less disciplined than they usually are. Um, but you know, I think that you know the game coming up with Toronto. That's going to be a game where I think the Bruins have a pretty good understanding of who they're playing against. I think they have a pretty good uh, feel for Toronto. And if you remember correctly, this year they shut them out one nothing. I believe it was away. And um, yeah, you know, so that's I think that can be a confidence building game. You know, we got uh Commissaric and Lucic who I'm sure will will go at it at some point and um you know, I think that you know, the goaltending situation in Toronto, although it's been getting better, is still not stable, you know. I think that's a game where they can kind of go back to their roots and play defensive and then score goals off of that. But as of right now, just like I think that we're just getting really bad calls and really bad non calls and it's just been inconsistent defensive play from the Bees. Well, let's um, let's look at one of the bright spots, Brad Marchand. I yeah. mean, this kid is lighting it up. I think twelve he, goals. He, he's uh, I think he's what number eight? five. I think he's number five in the NHL scoring depth chart right yeah. now. I mean, you just like wow, this kid is just, and he's just shooting it from all ends of you know, from the offensive zone, and it's it, it's nice to see. And I, of course, you would you would think after uh, Tyler Sagan, you know 
the time that he spent overseas, like lighting it up over there, he would be the one that would be the high scorer. But yeah, Marshawn yeah. is just blowing it up. So that's a that's a good that's a bright spot in this whole thing. Yeah, and you know, I think that something about Marshawn that goes overlooked that he he is at his core a grinder more than a natural goal scorer and that he's willing to get to the nitty-gritty areas and he's willing to play along the boards and he's willing to, willing to take a couple of hits and he's willing to get under people's skin and he might be the most he might be one of the most hated players right now from other teams but um you know yeah he is he's you know he can show he shows his individual skills on that penalty shot which i mean you know, it's not quite Sean Thornton's, uh, but it was, it was still it was still pretty good. Um, that was he had the little head fake and he had the five hole deke or whatever, and um, you know, and he's and he's been shooting it from all over, like you say, he's been playing on the penalty, uh, the power play, and he's, yeah, you know, he's the one. I think that him and Dougie Hamilton have been really playing well lately. Um, but you know, and then the dark spots are, you know, Chris Kelly and the third line are just not getting it done at all. I think that. Chris Kelly is a minus seven or minus eight right now, which is just so uncharacteristic of a of a Bruins uh, line to to be that far down minus. Especially coming off of the season that he had last year, where yeah. he he basically, you know, he exploded our expectations. Yeah, the third line actually carried the Bruins for a while last yeah, last season. When they went on that, uh, when they went on a long that long, uh, long winning streak, they you know the third third and fourth line were were basically the dominant ones. Mm-hmm. You know? My my concern is is you know the first line, which Claude Julian has been uh, switching it up once in a while. You know he's been putting Horton, Krejci, and Lucci, you know at the second line and stuff like that. I think they all need to come together and really figure it out. Yeah. All right, so that's all we have time for. Um, again, I'm Scott, and, and I'm John, and this is Sports Blogger Radio. Tune in next time.